Insights from the world's best medical minds. This is the rightdoctors.com. Welcome to the Right Doctors podcast. Today we have with us leading consultant cardiologist Dr. Nihar Mehta from Mumbai. Dr. Mehta has over a decade of experience in coronary interventions, heart failure management, hypertension management and valvular interventions. Dr. Nihar Mehta specializes in coronary interventions and Tavi in his practice at Mumbai's Jaslok Hospital and Research Center. He is also attached to Breach Candy Hospital, HN Reliance Hospital and KJ Sumaya Hospital. In this podcast, I present to our audiences our very special guest of the day, a highly talented and skillful interventional cardiologist, Dr. Nihar Mehta. Let me start the podcast by asking you about the latest update from scientific literature on COVID-19. Well, so uh, as you all know, I'm a cardiologist and I'm practicing in uh, South Bombay. Um, so let me tell you a bit about the cardiology and cardiology-related effects of COVID-19. Uh, so this novel coronavirus that has hit the entire globe has, um, as you all know, the day numbers are rising every day. And uh, we are uh, uh, increasing in the number of deaths and in the number of infected patients day by day. So as we have more numbers, um, we also have more and more data coming up on a day-to-day level where we are getting more information about how this virus behaves and how we should be equipped to tackle it. Now, um, the initial thing that we should discuss is that this is basically a respiratory virus. You know, it affects the respiratory system and the lungs far more than the cardiac system. Um, So in that regard, we should always understand that the lungs are going to be the primarily affected organ. But associated with that, you can have cardiac injury, kidney injury or liver injury. uh, And that adds to the complications and it adds to the um, mortality or the overall risk of death for that patient. Uh, coming to the cardiac numbers, uh, in certain reports that have come out out of China, uh, it says that the cardiac injury can be seen in as many as 11 to 13 percent of overall affected patients who are affected with the coronavirus. Uh, there are certain subsets who are more inf- affected than others. Let's say a person ha- is is of a younger age group um, and has no other problems like no comorbidities, is a non-smoker, non-diabetic, non-hypertensive, then even in that subset of patients with no background history, their risk of affecting the heart, the coronavirus affecting the heart, is around 7%. Whereas on the other hand, if you have underlying cardiac illnesses or underlying cardiac diseases, then your risk of getting affected by the virus goes up exponentially. And that becomes, some in some cases, it's 14%. In some cases, it's 26 27%. So, um, uh, the, the latest is that, yes, the coronavirus is a lung infection, but it can affect the heart in a large number of people. Uh, and, and, and the last thing I'd like to say in this regard is that, uh, uh, as doctors or as professionals, we should watch out for patients who have certain uh, risk factors the main ones being diabetes, high blood pressure, any underlying cardiac disease, whether they've had uh, angioplasty in the past, a heart attack in the past, uh, bypass surgery in the past, 
they've had a weak heart for whatever reason. Um, so all these risk factors will add to their risk of getting cardiac injury uh, when in relation to the COVID-19. What is the relation between high blood pressure and COVID-19? Yeah, so this is a very, very important question because uh, this has not only has this been a, a, a big controversy in the past, uh, but a lot of data have come up which have some conflicting interpretations. So first, let me tell you about what the data is. Um, it, it initially, when patients' profiles were released of uh, patients affected by the COVID-19 virus, uh, it was found that in patients who survived versus those patients who didn't survive, there is a higher risk of blood pressure amongst those who didn't survive. So putting this in a little simplified fashion or in, in more numbers, amongst the patients who survived, they found that, okay, survivors, 28% of them had high, high blood pressures. But amongst the people who didn't survive, nearly 48% of those had high blood pressure. So as a as a um, interpretation of this, it, it is uh, interpreted saying that uh, if you have high blood pressure, the risk of getting a more serious infection, the risk of getting complications and even the risk of death is higher. Now, when you take this thought process a little further, the, the argument against this thought was that the coronavirus affects patients who are older more seriously. And if you get older, your risk of getting more serious infections and the risk of mortality is much higher. Um, and blood pressure also works that way. That is, the higher the age group, the higher the risk of blood pressure. So the argument against this um, is that higher blood pressure is seen in, in older age groups and older age groups are more prone to mortality. So, so far we don't know whether this is independent. That means, is it just the fact that they are aging and that is why they are higher risk of, of dying or is it just directly related to the high blood pressure? But it definitely brings us to a little caution in terms of uh, patients who are infected and who have high blood pressure. One more thing about high blood pressure which actually is very valid to our uh, listeners is the use of certain blood pressure medicines. Now, some blood pressure medicines, uh, especially the ones called ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers, these have been highlighted in various studies because uh, it is one of the mechanisms by which the COVID-19 virus enters our cells is through a receptor called the ACE2 receptor. Now, this ACE2 receptor, again, there's a controversy here. Certain papers say that the ACE2 receptors in our lungs, when they are, the, 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 uh, before that, the ACE inhibitors and the ARBs, what they do is they suppress this entire uh, angiotensin system, the, the renin angiotensin system it's called. It suppresses this entire system and that's the way it works to reduce our blood pressure. Now, unfortunately, with that, what happens is that the ACE2 levels do go up because it inhibits the angiotensin 2 and therefore the ACE2 levels go up in your body. Now, one um, postulation was that ACE2 levels, um, they prevent or they, they are, uh, the angiotensin 2 being low, if the ACE2 levels are high, it reduces the lung injury. So it is technically a 
protective mechanism for uh, from the aspect of the lung injury and this is a protective mechanism in this these papers they said the ace and the ace2 levels or the ace inhibitors and the arv should be continued but another paper says that when your ace when you're using ace inhibitors and arvs the ace2 levels go up and the ace2 is what is needed for the entry of the virus into your cells and therefore these papers say that uh, these drugs should be used with caution now the consensus by various organizations where the american cardiology society the european cardiology society the icmr all these societies basically tell us that so far the evidence is not enough the amount of patients who are on these medicines is very very large if there is any convincing evidence then yes we will uh, think of replacing this drug but in the present situation when we don't have enough evidence we must continue this and this message should be got out to all our patients because if we start changing even one patient's medicines what happens is it becomes like a snowball effect and people will will all request us to change medicines whereas it is not necessary so it's more important to reassure all of us that as of now the data and the evidence is not enough for us to determine whether these medicines should be stopped so again blood pressure comes in the way in, in in two of these aspects when it comes to coronavirus what precautions should be taken by people suffering from cardiovascular disease during the covid outbreak so the precaution that a cardiac patient should take is the same as what others should take they should be very careful about staying socially isolated well i won't say isolated but distanced from people uh, this is what our entire country is following as of now and following it to a very good extent the uh, the cardiac patients should make sure they are washing their hands regularly they should make sure that they are uh, uh, taking as many precautions as possible to avoid contact with with anyone who's got affected by, by this virus um what additional precautions they should take is that they must continue all cardiac medicines this this sometimes becomes challenging because as we know sometimes the stocks of medicines are not up to mark sometimes the uh, medicine availability is low sometimes the um, um uh, you know the, the because of the whole economic situation you know, people will have a cash crunch they will find it difficult to purchase medicines and um, uh, but they should uh, there are ways where we can have social support there are a lot of medicines available in our hospitals uh, uh, and uh, in case they should not stop their cardiac medicines the most important thing is that you know cardiac medicines should continue um another thing that cardiac patient should be well aware of is symptoms now very often there's an overlap of symptoms especially symptoms of breathlessness and cough and um breathlessness and cough can be cardiac and it can be respiratory so if they get any symptoms whether it is cardiac or respiratory should be determined by their doctor if they get any symptoms they should immediately approach a doctor and make sure that their symptoms are cardiac related if cardiac related then medicines can be titrated if not and if they are infective the covid related then it's better that they get detected early so cardiovascular patients basically need extra precautions 
and they should not neglect their symptoms and they should definitely continue their medicines without interruption what is your opinion on the 21 day lockdown implemented by the government of india um i think we have um a global pandemic here there is a global crisis at in, in nearly all the countries of the world uh we have have we have only anecdotal evidence or case by case evidence in terms of how to behave what is the right way uh some countries have isolated themselves as a precaution and they are they are, and, and india is one of them some countries have uh, gone the way where they are doing uh, um, a large number of tests and detecting patients isolating those patients uh, that is another way of controlling this now considering india's population um doing a large number of tests you know and get about 1.4 billion people here is not as feasible as it sounds um on the other hand social isolation comes and and this lockdown comes across uh, impact on day to day life on our economy um but at this moment you know the, the health situation calls for a very very uh, desperate measures this is a desperate situation and um, my personal uh, feeling is that this lockdown has been implemented in a very timely fashion um countries who have not taken the initial few cases of covid-19 seriously have uh, you know lived to repent it we've seen the numbers in the in the globe are going up by nearly a lakh every day now and the numbers are going to keep rising unless we take the absolute precautions uh, why i think the lockdown is a good idea in our country is because we have a potential in terms of overcrowding in terms of uh, uh, you know in terms of public transport in terms of religious gatherings the potential to accumulate a large number of people together in an restricted environment is very very large in our country and that is a recipe for disaster um therefore the lockdown is a great great uh, plan uh, it's 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 implemented at the right time and i hope it works what is your take on the use of antibody testing kit for testing covid-19 instead of the rt pcr test so the rt pcr test we must understand is that the pcr is the gold standard here it is the absolute confirmatory test um of course the downside is it is expensive and it takes some time for the results to come back uh as we understand now our because uh, the tests are happening at such a large frequency the testing centers are getting overwhelmed because of the lack of the uh, the reduced number of kits that are available to them uh so the rt pcr is is the gold standard and there is no substitute for that but the antibody test the advantage of this test is that it can be done in uh, via a blood sample it can be done uh, meaning it can be done easily and it gives you a very fast response the the the, the antibody test can give you a response uh, within a few hours now the problem with the antibody test is that the antibodies so so the difference between a pcr test and an antibody test is the pcr it detects the virus itself 
it detects the number of virus particles in your body the uh, antibody test detects your body's response to that it detects the antibodies formed in your blood now it takes between 7 to 10 days for antibodies to be formed in our blood after the infection the day of infection so let's say we do tests for a person who starts getting symptoms on day 5 they may not have already had antibodies or they may be in a too small titer for it to be detected by this test but if we do it after the 7th to 10th day you might have the antibody turn positive so the potential problem with the antibody test is that it should be done at the right time it should be done only after a person has developed symptoms or after 7 days of exposure 7 to 10 days therefore the still the antibody test will be very useful when it is in in use for patients who are symptomatic or in terms of patients when we want to do it in a much larger number but the gold standard will still be the pcr test so the confirmation will always be with that what treatment options are available for patients suffering from covid-19 with cardiovascular diseases so um the first thing i'd like to say is that the covid-19 can affect patients with or without underlying cardiac diseases uh in patients so the if the way it affects the heart the covid-19 virus is that it can cause myocardial injury now when you say the term myocardial injury it basically means that it can affect the cardiac cells and therefore it can cause the cardiac cardiovascular system to react in various ways the first thing is it can cause um damage to the heart therefore making the heart weaker or intolerable to um, um different kinds of loads or strains or stressors which are faced with the heart in terms of a large infection so it can affect it can affect the heart in terms of uh, injuring the heart and causing what we call heart failure so it can contribute to heart failure with or without causing a drop in the lv function so it can weaken the heart and reduce the pumping power of the heart as well another way it can affect the heart is by causing irregularities of the heartbeats it can cause various kinds of arrhythmias which can be fatal or non fatal and they should be managed uh, very aggressively um and the last way in which it affects the heart and the cardiovascular system is at one mechanism in which this virus works is by causing what is called microthrombi it makes your blood a little more liable to form clots in various arteries and therefore one of the presentations that it does have is a, a myocardial infarction that is a heart attack um the heart attack patients meaning once a patient comes to a hospital whether or not he has covid-19 and he has a heart attack he is suspected of having covid-19 because covid-19 can mimic a heart attack also meaning it will come with all the signs and symptoms of a heart attack but when you check the angiography of the patient the the arteries will be clean now so you don't know whether the patient who's coming with a heart attack actually has a blockage in his artery or it is a manifestation of this myocardial injury which the virus causes the way all hospitals are working now is that is that we are doing all procedures to save a patient's life but also that is being done making sure that the precautions are being taken that the healthcare professionals are not affected and there are cath labs and our cath lab staff 
are safe. So any procedure, if it is deemed life-saving, whether it's an intervention in terms of a heart attack or it is another intervention or another procedure which would be saving the life of that patient, these procedures are done with all personal protective equipment being used in the cath lab and the proper sterilization techniques before and after the patient comes to the lab. This is the only way we can uh, avoid further spread of this virus amongst our healthcare workers and amongst uh, other patients. Um, in terms of heart attack management, there's an important aspect to uh, this because uh, if we uh, treat every patient at a COVID as a COVID-19 patient and take all personal protective equipment, then we will be in the correct uh, um, well in the correct guidelines or in the correct uh, way of managing these patients. But uh, it's also important to select our patients and be minimalistic when it comes to offering them procedures. So bottom line is that uh, patients who are affected with the virus and who have heart diseases are treated with a lot of care, well, preferably in the intensive care unit, where all the manifestations like myocardial injury, uh, LV dysfunction, arrhythmias, heart failure, or myocardial infarctions are all managed in the ICU and managed with medicines as far as possible. Only for those patients where a life-saving intervention is uh, required, all hospitals have uh, are geared up to do these procedures with all the precautions required. One last comment which I want to make is something about the cardiac injury which we were talking about. There is a test called the troponin levels which it tells you about the myocardial injury. Now there's a very interesting paper which has brought out the relation of the troponin levels with myocardial injury. Now if we take four subsets of patients, patients who have cardiovascular disease or who don't have cardiovascular disease and patients who have elevated troponin levels or normal troponin levels. These two parameters when taken together gives us a sort of indicator as to which patients are serious and which patients are less serious. So if patients don't have either, meaning they have normal troponins and no cardiac disease, mechanism in which this virus works is by causing what is called microthrombi. It makes your blood a little more liable to form clots in various arteries. And therefore, one of the presentations that it does have is uh, a myocardial infarction, that is a heart attack. Um, the heart attack patients, meaning once a patient comes to a hospital, whether or not he has COVID-19 and he has a heart attack, he is suspected of having COVID-19 because COVID-19 can mimic a heart attack also, meaning it will come with all the signs and symptoms of a heart attack. But when you check the angiography of the patient, the, the arteries will be clean. Now, so you don't know whether the patient who's coming with a heart attack actually has a blockage in his artery or it is a manifestation of this myocardial injury which the virus causes. The way all hospitals are working now is that is that we are doing all procedures to save a patient's life. But also that is being done making sure that the precautions are being taken that the healthcare professionals are not affected and that our catch labs and our catch lab staff are safe. So any procedure, if it is deemed life-saving, whether it's an intervention in terms of a heart attack 
or it is another intervention or another procedure which would be saving the life of that patient these procedures are done with all personal protective equipment being used in the cath lab and the proper sterilization techniques before and after the patient comes to the lab this is the only way we can uh, avoid further spread of this virus amongst our healthcare workers and amongst uh, other patients um in terms of heart attack management there is an important aspect to uh, this because uh, if we uh, treat every patient at a covid as a covid 19 patient and take all personal protective equipment then we will be in the correct uh, um, well in the correct guidelines or in the correct uh, way of managing these patients but uh, it's also important to select our patients and be minimalistic when it comes to offering them procedures so bottom line is that uh, patients who are affected with the virus and who have heart diseases are treated with a lot of care well preferably in the intensive care unit where all the manifestations like myocardial injury uh, lv dysfunction arrhythmias heart failure or myocardial infarctions are all managed in the icu and managed with medicines as far as possible only for those patients where a life saving intervention is uh, required all hospitals have uh, are geared up to do these procedures with all the precautions required one last comment which i want to make is something about the cardiac injury which we were talking about there is a test called the troponin levels which it tells you about the myocardial injury now there's a very interesting paper which has brought out the relation of the troponin levels with myocardial injury now if we take four subsets of patients patients who have cardiovascular disease or who don't have cardiovascular disease and patients who have elevated troponin levels or normal troponin levels these two parameters when taken together gives us a sort of indicator as to which patients are serious and which patients are less serious so if patients don't have either meaning they have normal troponins but and no cardiac disease their risk of having a serious outcome is something like 5 to 7% if they have a elevated troponin level but no underlying cardiac disease then that risk doubles so even if a patient has no cardiac disease but their troponin levels are elevated their risk of getting a more serious outcome is around 13 to 14% now if a patient has an underlying cardiac disease but no elevated troponins that patient just by the means of having an underlying cardiac disease has a nearly 35 to 39% risk of a serious outcome and if a patient by chance has both these together that is elevated troponins and the cardiac disease it goes up to as high as 60 to 70% which means that elevated troponin levels can be a marker to tell us which patients are likely to have a poorer outcome as compared to a more serious outcome and again related to whether they have cardiac diseases or not underlying so these are things which we are learning these are things are evolving and and as we learn more and more we will have more weapons uh, uh, in our armamentarium to tackle this disease better that's all for now we will be back again in a next episode with another leading specialist a master in his or her field of medicine till then stay tuned to the right doctor's podcast channel we are available on all leading podcast platforms till next time this is swati joshi saying goodbye
Take care. Wash your hands regularly. Maintain safe distance. And follow whatever directions your health authorities are giving you. Stay home. Stay safe. Goodbye for now. Insights from the world's best medical minds. This is the right doctors.com.